Is the church full of hypocrites? Why do Christians sometimes seem fake to the world? How important is authenticity in the Christian life? Why is it important that non-Christians focus on Jesus' life and not the life of a Christian? Chris sits down with Pastor Doug Jones from Saddleback Church, and they discuss these questions and more on this episode of Your Church Friends. All right, welcome to another episode of Your Church Friends. I am Chris, and today I have the privilege and honor to sit here with one of my closest friends for almost 20 years now, Doug Jones. So, uh, Doug, just introduce yourself to the audience and let them know a little bit about who you are, and and then we'll get into our talk. Yeah, man, it's great to be here. Uh, Hearing you say almost 20 years makes me feel all kinds of things inside. (laughs) I mean, obviously, uh, happy to be friends with you for so long, but I I just, I'm blown away that I'm at a season of life now where I can say, yeah, I've been friends with someone for like 20 years, or yeah, I haven't done this or that in like 25 years. I remember I used to hear growing up say that kind of stuff when I was a kid, and I thought that sounded like geologic time. (laughs) And now it's like just a reality. Yeah, great to be here. I'm on staff at Saddleback Church. I'm the the, uh, ministry pastor for the Lake Forest campus, so I oversee the team that, that helps plug people into ministry based on their shape, help them understand how God's made them and get plugged into ministry. Um, been on staff there for going on nine years. It'll be nine years next month. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a long time. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming up on that decade. I ab- absolutely love it. Love my church. Love being a part of that. But being in the being at Calvary here today has been like such a sweet, like walking through the worship center and just remembering all the sweet, sweet memories I have here has been really nice as well. So That's I'm cool. glad to talk with you, man. This is fun. I'm so psyched about your show. I mean, I, I've seen a couple episodes. I got to kind of get a feel for what you and Murdoch do here. And um, and as a fellow longtime podcaster, I I just I understand the work that goes into this. And I'm just so glad I can can be a part of this in the in the early days of your church friends. Yeah, thank you. Really do. Like you're the second guest we've had. You know, so this is going to be different from hearing me and Murdoch all the time that yeah. other that people have been used to. So I'm just uh, happy I'll be able to say like I was there in the OG days. There's the launch, the startup yeah. days before it got canceled or we stopped doing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. I don't believe that. All right. So we are talking today. I kind of gave you a fun topic to come in with me because we were just finishing in the podcast, loving your enemy and eye for an eye, kind of looking at some religious hypocrisies that we as Christians can fall into. Mm. So we're going to talk about religious hypocrisy, and I guess let's get right into it with the first question. Is the church full of hypocrites? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's a pretty, that's a little bit of a complicated question, I think, but I would respond to it. I'll respond as concisely as I can, and then maybe we'll expand on it a little bit. But I think the short answer to the question is absolutely not. The church is not full of hypocrites. There are hypocrites in the church. <laughs> the, the church does contain some hypocrites, but no, it's not. It's not full of hypocrites. And anybody who is in the church like we are and is, you know, in close friendship with people who are just real, honest people seeking to follow Jesus in their life, we, we know it's obviously true that the church is not full of hypocrites. But, you know, they do exist. They are within the church. I mean, I don't know how much we're going to talk about this, but I mean, I think we all have a common sense definition of hypocrisy that it essentially means like having standards or beliefs that you yourself do not live up to. And I think that's sort of fundamental to to human life. I think every single one of us has ideals and values and principles that even we sometimes fail to live up to. So I think if if we use that definition around hypocrisy, it's easy to see that every single person on the face of the earth at some level lives in some sort of state of hypocrisy because there's always a gap or a dissonance between what we know we ought to do and what we actually do live out day to day. 
But, you know, I think when we talk about hypocrisy and when we read about Jesus's words on this topic, you know, he essentially just describes it as a lie. Mm -hmm. Hypocrisy is a lie. It's using an outward facade to shield or to obstruct an inward reality. You know, it's like I use an outer shell to hide the inner self. So, yeah, I mean, fundamentally, that's really what hypocrisy is. It's a lie and it's ingrained in this this impulse to hide. Mm hmm essentially is, I think, deep, buried deep in the human heart ever since the fall. I mean, we're always, as people, whether Christians or not, we're always looking for a fig leaf. You know, right. we're that's always looking for something that's going to cover our nakedness, something that will shield the parts of us that we feel ashamed of or that we're scared by or the things that if anyone knew them, it might bring our whole world crashing down. So that, that impulse to hide, I think, is what's at the base of hypocrisy. We, we want to we want to hide the things that shame us. And I think while hypocrisy is common to, to I think, all human beings in this sense of having a, a, a mismatch between our values and our actions at times, Christians really do have their own special brand of religious hypocrisy, yeah. which I think <laughs> we will be talking about some today, I'm sure. But, you know, I was, as, as I was, by the way, this topic, when you first told me we were, talk, we were going to talk about hypocrisy, I was like, okay, this should be fun. But actually, as I spent some time studying it down and just, kind of exploring the topic a little bit in, in personal study. It was actually really fruitful and enjoyable to, to, to look into this. It had me doing a lot of like, you know, hard looking at myself. But, you know, I, I think one thing I, I was thinking about is you rarely see hypocrisy in new believers. Mm. You don't usually see that in baby Christians because usually they're just so happy to have their sins forgiven. Yep. And they're so psyched just to be accepted into the body of Christ, just to be welcomed into the family of God. That hypocrisy is usually not there because they're usually they're usually just real, you mm -hmm. know, and they're just they they know they're messed up and they're so glad that they're that they're on a new path and that Jesus has saved them. I think where we see hypocrisy in the church most often is those of us who've been in the church for a long time. Yeah, and I think that's common sense true to to all of us just looking around who've been in the church for a while. But it's easy to I think we need to give grace to Christians who show some, some hypocrisy at times because. You know, if you've been a believer for a long time and sort of your your position and your reputation in the church has solidified over time, it can be really, really hard to admit when you're failing to live up to your own reputation. Right. You know, like, what do you do if you're in a situation where, like, you're the guy or you're the girl who, you know, sings on stage and leads in youth ministry and lifts up your hands during worship and you've got this persona and you really do love Jesus and you've got this persona of someone who, who is just really kind of a bedrock person in the church, well, that can be a really tough situation because how do you then admit that you're not actually quite exactly what people think you are? Right. Like, how do you live up to that? It's, it's, a very, it's a very tough thing when you've been a Christian for a while and people begin to perceive you in a certain way. It can be extremely tough to, for Christians to break out of that cycle of hiding because now I have to, to sort of come out and and in some level I have to say say to others I'm not exactly what you think I am I really like the the point you made about um, new believers there's like really you don't ever see new Christians as like hypocrites you know it's because they're so excited and there's almost a, a sense of like because I just got saved here's all the stuff that I used to do like we want them to talk about all the stuff they used to do right we and they that. want to because it's like it's been eating at them yeah they're like oh thank God I can finally 
release i can finally let go of this load of guilt i've mm-hmm. been carrying for for so long this i can finally be out from under this shame but then something changes yeah and that's where i was getting at it it's we get into this point of like as christians where here's all the stuff i used to do and i call this my testimony and i share this with people but at some point like oh no i'm still doing something wrong or i just did something wrong and I can't share that with other people because now expectations or things, and I really like that fig thing. We're always putting on a fig to cover up our shame. We kind of look at it as like the mask. You know, I'm always putting totally. on a mask to yeah. cover up what I've gone we, through. I think we come to a point sometimes when we've been in the church for a long time, and we're no longer that new believer. Mm-hmm. And we're no longer seen as that guy who, you know, who basically came in off the street and is is just starting to put his life together. And so the expectation from that person is very low. It's just confess your sins and get on this road of discipleship and, and, and begin growing to maturity. But then once you've been in the church for a long time and you're sort of perceived as a mature person, it's, it's, it's just easy to get so preoccupied and so focused on what we think we're supposed to look like that we stop paying enough attention to what we actually are. Yeah. And that, that's a dangerous zone. And I think that's where Christians sort of encounter some real problems. It kind of leads, this leads into the second question I have here is because a Christian sins, does that make them a hypocrite? Yeah. I mean, of course, the the answer is definitely no. I mean, sinning makes you a sinner (laughs) for sure. (laughs) I mean, we know sin puts you at odds with God and that it, that it it puts you in this, this toxic position where you're, you're, you are guilty of, of doing wrong for sure. But sin and recovery from sin and the struggle against sin is just a fact of life for every believer. You know, every Christian who is seriously following any any disciple, let's say that any disciple of Jesus Christ is going to be locked in a long term battle with sin in his life or her life. That's just a fact of reality. Does not make you a hypocrite. You know, a hypocrite is someone who pretends to be morally superior when they're not. Mm -hmm. That's a hypocrite. But not every sinner is a pretender. Right. Uh, We can be really honest about our sins. You can have a different relationship with your sin. By the way, this idea of like. You know, cl- you know, pretending to be morally superior. Any any Christian who claims to be morally superior has completely missed the point of the gospel, and they need to go back and and they need to they need to be reacquainted with Jesus, and they need to be reacquainted with the sin that made them in need of a savior to begin with. And I think that's a humility that sometimes is lost in believers. You see a, a certain humility in a new believer that sometimes gets lost over time, partly because our status in the church solidifies. It, we crystallize with this persona of mature, long time believer, builder of the church, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I think we just, we, if we think of just a simple comparison in our minds, I mean, l- let's think about, l- let's think about, let's say a woman who, who is locked in mortal combat with sin in her life, and she's determined to overcome. And she depends on Jesus. She calls on the Lord for help. And she, she looks to, to the healing power of the Holy Spirit to restore her. But she does make mistakes sometimes. There's, there's no way for us to call that kind of person a hypocrite. That, right. that person is on the road to victory over sin in their lives. They, they may have some stumbles. They'll have some wobbles along the way. Those are, those are to be expected, and those are understood. And, and of course, God understands that that is a part of our reality. Paul had the same struggle. You know, like this, this is a, it's the classic situation that results from, from a fallen human being who's in the process of becoming a new creation, a very hard arduous process but that's not hypocrisy you know hypocrisy is a pretending it's a hiding you know and 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 a pretender uses the name of jesus but doesn't really obey his commands Mm. in their heart you know and and they probably use the name of jesus because it gets them something yeah it gets them respect in the church it gets them 
a moral authority. It gets them feelings of of superiority, and it it makes them feel secure in mm-hmm. in their relationship with God, even though they may be missing the point. And unfortunately, that kind of person one day learns that faking it was never going to be enough. I like all of this. I really do. Uh, the The one thing that keeps sticking in my head is this transition of like new Christian who like everything is. We can come to church and everyone looks at us okay and we can say we struggle on this or we're still struggling on that and it's acceptable. But at some point, we become a Christian for a while. And we had talked about it during breakfast this morning, like somewhere I think in like the 60s to like now there's been this ingrained idea concept that like if you're a Christian, you have to act, say and be a certain way and you can't let people know that you're struggling with something or there's something going on in your life or that there's a sin that still keeps nagging at you. Mm -hmm. And what hit me was this concept of identity. Hmm. So when we first become Christians, we, we do absorb the identity of Christ and we embrace this, I want to be the identity of Christ. But then mm-hmm. at some point, like you said, prestige, position, how other people view us changes it to we start replacing God's identity with our own skewed identity of God kind of sprinkled in it. So I thought that was yeah. a really cool point that you brought up there. I think you're, compl- I think you're totally right. I, I, think, I think the church... If the church is not careful, the church can seal its own fate in this area because we, we in the church we must not have a culture where mature Christians can't admit their guilt. Yeah, and I think that is a real problem that the church faces today. I mean, you know, mature Christians, even hypocritical Christians, are usually unless they're just the worst kind of Pharisee, which we'll talk about Pharisees I think in a minute. But we're we're so eager to welcome imperfect new believers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so excited to see people turning their lives over to Jesus. And admitting their sin and turning from their old life and and handing themselves over and letting Jesus be the new king of their life. We love to see that. But when a, a, a longtime Christian does something similar, the reaction is often very different. When a longtime Christian says, you know what, I'm learning I'm not who you guys thought I was, or I'm struggling with this really serious area of sin in my life, the same church that responds to the new believer with such almost motherly joy and acceptance and affection often is in danger of cannibalizing the the older ones who come out and say, you know, I'm actually messed up too. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not what you thought. And there's often a reaction of, you betrayed us. Yeah. You know, if, if that's true of you, then how can we trust you? You know, how can you, how can you minister and be like that? Or So I think the church has to walk a very fine line and, and not forget to extend the same grace to imperfect older believers that they extend to young believers coming mm-hmm. into the church. We've, we've got to be good about, otherwise we create an environment, a really repressed and repressive environment where sinners feel like they're not safe to admit their sin. Yeah. And nothing could be more harmful to the spiritual life of an individual or to the long-term integrity of a church than having a merciless, which is really what that is. It's a, a, a lack of mercy with those who are older in the faith. I think it's crazy too, because we've all, we're, we're old enough and most people listening to the point where we've heard pastors who have fallen, right? Who have fallen either because of financial, marital, or whatever kind of scandal they got themselves into. But I think it's interesting that once it happens, it's like this big old like thing. When yeah, it's an explosion. The, when the reality is if they would have, if there would have been more freedom within the body to, or mercy, like you said, and grace within the body to say, yeah, I have this problem. If it would have, if they could have got to the beginning of that point before it became the problem, mm-hmm. and and exposed their secret. We have a saying around here, like uh, at Calvary lately, that's been 
your your secret is your biggest problem whatever secret sin you're holding in that's what's going to be detrimental to you yeah. and i totally botched that it's something else but it's that's close enough to what it is you can just dub it in later yeah i'll fix it later that's what our problem is is that we are, we're so afraid to share that but if we shared it out the gate if we tell, told on ourselves out the gate mm-hmm. imagine what would have been prevented oh my gosh and yeah. that that's the i think with even like the grace that needs to be there from other people but the fear in ourselves that i don't want to damage my reputation or how people look at me yeah and instead of being afraid of that just being more open and honest because consequentially it will get worse for you well uh, it takes it takes a tremendous amount of effort to overcome that the shame that you feel uh, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to do that, but but you're absolutely right. If we would get the timeline right, if we would if we would nip those issues in the bud sooner and create a safer space where people feel like they're they're able to do that, you know, even pastors, you know, pastors more than anyone. And I think this is why we see such epic failures on mm-hmm. on pastors' parts is largely because they live in a world where they don't get to share what's really going on a lot of yeah. times, you know. They're so busy leading or they're in, in environments where they have so much expectation to live up to. And this isn't to take the onus off. We, we all stand alone when it comes to our guilt for our own personal sins. And this is not to take the guilt off of a pastor or anyone else. But if we created a space where people could be more real, there, there's, a, there's a saying that Pastor Buddy Owens, who's a, a teaching pastor at Saddleback and, and one of our elders, he always says, if there was more confession of temptation, there would be less confession of sin. There it is right there, yeah. You know, if, if we could, if, if we created space where even mature believers can say, you know what, like, I know you see me one way or, or, or another, but frankly, this is what I'm dealing with right now. You know, like I'm dealing with issues of lust or I'm dealing with porn or I'm dealing with a substance abuse or, or if, if they could just, if they could deal with that before it becomes an epic catastrophe for themselves and for the church, how, how wonderful how how much healthier would the church be mm-hmm. if we gave people the simple grace of safety to be honest about what's going on? Yeah. And if we all just remember for a second that we're all screwed up and none of us stands above the other, that I think would be a game changer. Uh, the next question I got, which all of this has been great stuff, and I'm looking at my questions wondering if we might get through all of them, but... I'll pick it up. I'll pick it up. <laughs> it's all right. No, I want to get through them all because they're really good. That's some good stuff we've been talking about right now, and you've been giving some great wisdom there. Um, why do Christians sometimes seem fake to the world then? Like, you know, we're talking yeah. about hypocrisy. We're talking about, like, internal hypocrisy within the church. But mm-hmm. the, the real problem, I think, with hypocrisy is the view we get from outside. So yeah, the seeming fake. Certainly the hypocrisy of some believers is partly to blame. We, we got to own, own some of that. But frankly, I think it's a way more complicated question than just, well, Christians are hypocrites, and so people sometimes perceive them as hypocrites. I think there's a lot more involved in a person being resistant to the gospel or resistant to the church. Mm. And I think sometimes the hypocrisy of believers is a bit of a red herring. <laughs> you know, it's, it's someone trying to drag you off the scent, drag you off the trail. I think a lot of, of we'll say, you know, outsiders or, or those who aren't a part of the family of God yet and haven't, haven't turned their life over to Jesus, I think... Sometimes hypocrisy is a, the hypocrisy of the church is sometimes an, an, an easy out, although certainly they do, it is clear that that is a problem for many people, and that is a barrier to the gospel for some honest, seeking people. But I do think that sometimes it's a bit of a distraction from what's probably potentially really going on in that person's heart. Uh, I think some of it, I think some of it is that the requirements of the Bible seem so lofty and so intense that I think some people just assume there's no way anybody's actually doing that stuff. Right. Really, like, no sex outside of marriage, like, no getting drunk, 
the, these requirements seem almost, they seem so far gone that they just can't believe that anyone is really following those commands, you know, dealing with those issues. I think sometimes it's because they don't know how to read or interpret the Bible. So they read the Bible and they see things in the Bible that they don't know how, they don't know what to do with. And so they think that the contents of the Bible is in conflict with how Christians, even good Christians mm. behave today, you know? So they'll see things like, you know, they'll see like slavery in the Bible, for example, or they'll see polygamy in the Bible, or they'll see violence in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. And they'll say, okay, well, you know, you act like you're these, you know, like peace-loving, peacemaker Christians, but look at your holy book. It's full of this crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't know how to place any of the things that they're reading in the Bible in context. They don't know how to understand the broader uh, biblical narrative. So So they don't really know how to process those things. And so sometimes I think that can make Christians appear to be to be fake because it almost looks like they're not following the commands of what they think are the commands of the Bible. I think, frankly, and this is, I don't want to give too much credit to Christians here, but I think credit where it's due, I think some some lost people probably think that Christians are fake even when they're not. Some, some Christians really are that mature. Mm-hmm. Some Christians really are that good. Some Christians really are that wise. And, you know, I, I've got some, some Christian friends who are older and, and more mature. And even to me, a believer, I believe everything in the Bible. <laughs> and even to me, I look at them and I'm like, how can this be real? Like, mm-hmm. is this, is this, are these heights of maturity and spiritual life really even possible? Like, it blows my mind yeah. as a lifelong Christian. It's got to blow the minds of someone who, who's outside the church entirely and, and hasn't been introduced to Christ or, or and hasn't got the Holy Spirit. It's like, Sometimes the things of the Spirit seem like nonsense even to me, and yeah. I have the Spirit, <laughs> you know, even more so to those who are outside. So I think sometimes it can just, it almost feels mythical that anyone could actually be that way. And so the assumption is that can't be real. Yeah, I, I think that's funny you brought that up. The same thing as a Christian, like if I meet someone and they're really, really nice, like a genuine person, yeah. I'll, I'll like, that ain't real. I'll go home and if I'm with my wife, <laughs> he's gonna go if I'm beat with his Justine, dog. I'm like, ah, he's hiding something. No one's that nice. Like, right. No one's that good. Right. And that's our own cynicism. You know, yeah, that's not it, necessarily. But that's the, exactly your point you're making that even right. us as Christians, we do, we get into that where like, nah, yeah. that person ain't that nice. They're, they're hiding something or no, they're shady. There's they, something up there. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you're, and, and, and sometimes that might be the Holy Spirit giving you an impression that you need to listen to. But a lot of times it's just because we're still, in so many ways, we're still baby Christians trying mm-hmm. to figure this thing out. And, and we don't, we don't even know how high the ceiling is for growth yet. And so yeah. when we see someone who's just soaring in, in the spirit, it's like, dude, okay, is that real? And if it is real, I'm inspired. And if it's not real, I'm discouraged. But, but it's, it's something that I think we wrestle with. I think all too often what happens with, with you know, non-Christians is they throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to Christianity. And, and often they use the very worst Christians, the worst examples mm-hmm. of Christ-likeness, to judge all Christians, yep. as well as Christianity and even Christ himself. So they extrapolate beyond what's rational, and they say, okay, because there are some Christians who fail to live up to their own standards, that must mean the whole thing is garbage. And that is a fallacy, for one. It's just logically a fallacy. But it's problematic because it separates them from a knowledge of Jesus because of just their own preconceived notions, because mm-hmm. of their own because of their own desire, oftentimes, for Christianity to be wrong. They, many people who don't know Jesus are what the Bible would call scoffers. They're people who don't want it to be true. They don't want Christians to be real. Yeah. They, don't want, they don't want to admit that any of this might be true. And so they're looking for ways to discredit Christianity because, well, what if it was true? What if Jesus Christ really did raise from the dead? And what if people's lives today really are being radically transformed by the kingdom of heaven and, and the Holy Spirit 
What if that was all true? Well, that would have significant implications for me in my life if I admit that truth. And so sometimes the hypocrisy of believers can provide a convenient ripcord for people who don't want to face King Jesus head on. That's a really great point to to even sum up that question because I think when it, you're right when it comes down to it, if it's easier to say that Christianity, that Christians are fake, that they're living one way but acting another way, or saying they're doing something but acting another way because it does help me not. If I'm not a Christian, it helps me not face that fact. You know, yeah. it's a, the simple question of where Jesus is. He's either uh, not Lord or he is Lord. And mm. if what these people are doing is real, and if that Jesus is real, then yes, the implication in my life is then he needs to be real to me. So I, yeah. I, wow, that was a great point to kind of sum that one up. The next question I got then is, as we're talking about like the hypocrisy that was going on, and we just, like I said, got done in the podcast going through the religious hypocrisy, and Jesus is, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, man, he's just coming at the Pharisees, like, you got to be better than the Pharisees, Yeah, which the Pharisees get an unfair rap sometimes. I feel like they were the, the Christians of hypocrisy back then, you know, they were trying, they just turned this beautiful grace thing into like this crazy, miscued concept, Yeah, but they were trying to live a godly life, but... Uh, why does Jesus... I think why, some of them were. Yeah, some of them. Yeah. But Same why, as Christians today. Yeah. So why did Jesus uh, condemn the self-righteousness of the Pharisees? All right, but before you answer that question, let me tell you about our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It's your one-stop shop for all things Your Church Friends. You want some cool Your Church Friends merch? There's a link in the top right that would take you to our online store. If you missed a few episodes, don't worry about it. You can get caught up there or click on the links that will lead you to your favorite podcasting platforms. Want to stay current with what we're doing? That's simple. Click on the link to join our Facebook group page. If you want more Your Church Friends content, you got it. Our latest YouTube videos are available on the website. And while you're watching them, don't forget to like that video and subscribe to the channel. Remember, the website is yourchurchfriends.rocks. Because we rocks. Now let's get back to that question about the Pharisees and their self-righteousness. Ignorance is one thing. Malevolence is something else. Evil is something else. Jesus recognized something in the Pharisees that was evil. And that's why he treated them differently than he did everyone else. He saw the spirit of Satan himself in the Pharisees. He called them, you sons of the devil, you brood of vipers, snakes, hypocrites. In fact, you know, in a minute, I'm going to cite a verse from, from Matthew 23. But Matthew 22 and 23, if you, if you want to see, when, when Jesus' tension with the Pharisees got to its ultimate peak, it was, in the, it was in the encounter that Jesus had with them in Matthew 22 and 23. And it gets intense, where the pre- Pharisees are present, and Jesus is literally speaking out against the Pharisees to the people in front of the Pharisees, putting them on ultimate blast. I mean, in, in a really intense way. Some things we know about God. First, we know that God has limitless mercy and kindness for those broken and guilty people of the world, uh, what, what all of us are without Christ. And, and, and when, when broken and guilty people lift their eyes to heaven, God is ready to meet them. He's ready to reach out to them. But God has terrifying, white-hot anger against people who knowingly prey on those who need hope. Mm. And that's what Jesus saw happening in the Pharisees. I mean, we know that God has this sort of love toward the downcast. I mean, even if you read the Old Testament, uh, read through the Psalms, read throughout the prophets, you'll hear again and again how God prioritizes the orphans, the widows, 
the poor, the heartbroken. And that's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's all over. The Pharisees knew, like to your point, they, they, they knew the life that they were meant to live. But somewhere along the way, they realized that they didn't actually have to be transformed by the Scriptures, which is very hard, mm-hmm. as we all know. Anyone who's tried to be transformed more into the, the likeness of our Creator knows that that is ex- an extremely difficult, arduous journey. They learned that all they had to do was, all they had to do to maintain their prestige and their position, their power, and their, their place in the community was fake it, mm. which was easy. And they could, they could cover themselves with this huge list of ancient laws and rituals and all these things. They could fake it. And so like in Matthew 22 and 23, we see Jesus's confrontation with them really coming to a head. And you, you see Jesus make his point crystal, crystal clear. And I, th- I think this is where we start getting down to the crux of the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, is that at the same time that Jesus was bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, the Pharisees were there trying to push the kingdom back up into the clouds out of reach. You know, Jesus would go around, you know, basically saying, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. And the Pharisees were essentially saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's actually locked behind this impenetrable wall of religious duties that, that, you, must, that you must do. What Jesus called an unbearable weight of guilt and shame and religious ritual. That, that no one could, in fact, he even criticized the Pharisees in these same chapters saying, you place a, 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 an enormous burden on people's shoulders and you do nothing to help them lift it. So Jesus had a real, real serious conflict with the Pharisees because they sort of pushed God himself and his kingdom out of reach where only the so-called elites could get to it. And I, I think if we want to boil down Jesus's beef here with them, it's that the Pharisees widened the gap between God and the lost sheep of Israel. They, they, they made the separation greater. Instead of moving to reunite man with his creator, they perpetuated the sense of infinite gap between God and mankind, which is exactly the gap that Jesus came to reconcile. So it's like as Jesus is doing the pulling motion to pull God and man together, the Pharisees are there doing the pushing motion to push mm-hmm. them apart. And I think, you know, when, when we look at Matthew 23... Verse 13, I think, is the crux of it. This is where Jesus hits the pinnacle of his argument. And I've got it here. He says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others in either. I think this is why Jesus' arguments toward the Pharisees were so molten hot, because they were the direct contradiction or the direct opposition to his entire mission in coming to earth. And they were steadfast in their opposition to Jesus. You know, obviously some of them did turn to Jesus, which we which we're delighted to hear. But it, it was the in Jesus' mind, it was the toxic hypocrisy of the of the Pharisees that kept people out of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And you alluded to this earlier, but you know, if we're not careful, Christians are in danger of doing the same exact thing today. It's scary to think how many people have not entered the kingdom because of the hypocrisy of Christians. It's a real issue. So I, to me, that's, the, that's why Jesus opposed them so, so strongly, is because they shut the kingdom, the door to the kingdom in people's faces. You know, and these are chilling words. He says to these religious elites, not only will you not go into heaven, you're keeping others from getting it yeah. as well. So yeah, Jesus was just fiery in his opposition. And, you know, it's easy for us Christians to be like, yeah, well, wouldn't want to be a Pharisee. Like, wouldn't have wanted to face that critique from Jesus. But 
I don't know. I think there are some church cultures and there are some there are some individuals in the church that if Jesus showed up today, we'd be so excited to give him a big old hug and he'd say, Hold up, I, I've got some I've got some beef. Well, you see this in Revelations in this in, mm-hmm. in the letters to the churches. We we have the spirit of Pharisees living in the church today. In mm-hmm. in some places, in some some parts of probably every church, there's a, there's at least some there's at least a few Pharisees here. And the Pharisees of today are animated by the work of the devil just the way they were in Jesus' day. And it's it's a little scary to think that there could be people in our churches who would fit into the same children of the devil serpent category that Jesus accused the, the Pharisees of being in. But Jesus is not mince words about this. So I think we have to be willing as a church to talk real honestly about such such serious and, and destructive matters and not be afraid to like accept, you know, to stand in the spotlight and really look at ourselves on this one. Man, that was a great answer. That Thanks. really was. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here just listening and going like every time you said something like, yeah, wow. Like just, just my mind blown on some of the conceptually, the thoughts of it all, biblically accurate and correct and 100% true. And I liked really the tie-in at the end of, by the way we're acting, how are we preventing people from going in? We're shutting the door to the kingdom Ugh. of heaven on people. And that's yeah. scary. And it's the, a gut-wrenching thought. The worst part is almost the like, it may not be our intention, yeah, but we're just following a practice or following consistency of what we thought was right, that we are shutting the door to the people. Mm-hmm. And, and it, man, it's a scary thought. It's, I think it should be an eye-opening thought. It should really be a gut check for anyone listening that like, if the way you're acting or the way you're living isn't following those standards God has for us, mm-hmm. And also being authentic, which I think we're going to get to with the next question, the authenticity yeah. that we should have as Christians, that you could be shutting the door to someone. I think Gandhi said it. I love, uh, I love your Jesus. I just don't like the, his followers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I'm paraphrasing that. It was a little better, but that was a statement he made mm. based off of uh, what he saw from the church itself. So that gets us into the next question then is, I guess, how important is the authenticity in the Christian life? Yeah, it's 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 of the utmost importance. I mean, well, we we can't get around that. Uh, if, if hypocrisy is at its root a lie, authenticity is at its root truth. Mm. So to ask the so to answer the question, how important is authenticity in the Christian life? It, you're it's the same as answering the question, how important is truth in the Christian life? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is a logos. There is a necessity. If we want to live as kingdom people, we have to be willing to live in the light of truth. And that means being honest about ourselves. It means, it means that what you see is what you get. It means that if I'm broken, it's okay for you to know that I'm broken. Maybe everybody doesn't need to know all the ways that I'm broken, but somebody needs to know all the ways that I'm broken. There needs to be somebody that I can share that with. So authenticity means there's no tricks. There's no hiding. There's no faking. It's just real. That's what Christians have to be. Living as a Pharisee is the alternative. Or living as Judas is the alternative. You can be a wolf in sheep's clothing. They exist in the church. Mm-hmm. Paul spoke out against them. There are false teachers. There are false witnesses. There are, there are false people in the church today. And I, I think the best way to combat that is to create as much as, as much as it's possible, or at least within our own sphere of influence, we've got to foster an environment where it's okay to, well, to, to use a cliche, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. It, you can be screwed up and still be a, a vital person part of the body of Christ. And if that's not okay, then all you're doing and all the church will do is push sinners underground. And in that way, we, we shut the door to the kingdom of heaven because we keep people from getting free of their past. 
So if truth matters, authenticity matters. I was, again, I, I've never heard it put that way, and it makes total sense. If hypocrisy is the lie, authenticity is the truth. Yeah. Uh, if anyone's listening, write that down because tweet it, do whatever you want to do with <laughs> it. Put Just make sure you put Doug Jones next to it. Because that's the, that's it, man. That is it. Don't credit me. Just live by it. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's all just please live by that. But that is it. The 100% truth is that if, and I'm going to say it again because it was really good, Doug. If hypocrisy is the lie, authenticity is the truth. Mm -hmm. Great stuff, man. Thanks. Uh, so wrapping up, we got two more questions here. Yeah. Why is it important that non-Christians focus on Jesus's life and not the Christian life? So as we steer away from the concept of like hypocrisy yeah. and that, you know, all Christians just because you claim you have Christ in your life doesn't mean you're necessarily that perfect being yet. Yeah. We're working towards it, but it means sometimes, like, don't drive with me most days if I'm in a rush because I'm going to cut somebody off. I'm not going <laughs> to use my blinker. I'm not going to look like the perfect Christian. Yeah. Uh, so why is it more important to focus in on Christ's life than the, than the Christian life? Yeah, well, I mean, all of us as Christians are imperfect reflections of Jesus. And if you want to know... If you want to know the essence of something, if you want to know the essence of Christianity, and if you want to know what all Christians are really trying to become, you've got to look at Jesus. If, if you use Christians as the standard by which you will judge Christianity, that, that's problematic because Christians are not a perfect reflection of Christianity. They're an imperfect attempt to become a new creation, you know, like, they're, but they're still, but they're not all there yet. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not completely, we, I mean, in a, in a, in a theological sense, we trust in Jesus Christ. He he indwell his spirit indwells us, and we are a new creation. You know the scriptures say there is new creation. Trust in Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of your life. You are a new creation. But the process of renovation that has to happen in the human life and in the human soul is a slow, arduous, long term process. So it 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 makes no sense for for non Christians to judge Christianity by the standard of how they see Christians behaving. They need to, as you said in the question. They need to be looking at Jesus Christ. If, if you want to be able to spot, you know, uh, a counterfeit, you need to look at the original. Mm. You need to be able to tell the difference between what's true and what's false. I mean, you, you see this with all sorts of things where people will invalidate Christianity on the basis of what they see Christians doing. You know, so if they meet a racist Christian, well, th they take that as if it invalidates Christianity. When, of course, Jesus was an avid anti-racist. You know, Jesus... Obviously, we know that racism is, is a sin. Jesus was not a racist. Jesus was a, f a friend to everyone, a friend of sinners. Jesus didn't discriminate. And it's important for, for non-Christians, and I would also say for baby Christians who are, who are still sorting out what's what in their faith, to, and this is why whenever I talk to somebody who's a new believer, the first thing I say is read the Gospels. Mm -hmm. You need to know who Jesus is. How can you model your life after, some, after someone you do not know? And, and uh, I think I said this earlier, but you know, Christians sometimes behave in unchristian ways, and it's important to know that it's important to be able to to look at a Christian who behaves unchristianly and realize that that doesn't invalidate the faith. All it does is mean that that person is failing to live up to the standards of Christ, and and that is an important distinction to be able to make. The imperfect actions of a believer does not invalidate Jesus or his message. So studying the real life of Jesus gives perspective to someone who's exploring faith. And again, like I said, to, to young believers as well. If you study the real life of Jesus, you, you get to build perspective. And that perspective will protect you from being knocked off balance by the ding-dongs of the faith who make poor choices, 
who who misrepresent Jesus Christ and his kingdom, and it, it gives you perspective on the Pharisees, and you can recognize them as Pharisees, and it protects you from throwing the baby out with the bathwater, where you can look at somebody and say, well, okay, well, this person's not doing Christianity right, clearly. They're, they're violating the laws of Christ, but that doesn't invalidate Christ himself. Yeah. And so it's important that they go to the, they go to the root issue, you know, like you're digging for well water, you know. Maybe some of the water on the surface is a little murky, a little bit funky, a little bit stagnant, but dig down to Jesus. Dig down to, to, the, to the bedrock and get down to the, the real pure water table, the thing that really animates the Christian life and, and that really provides the outline for our faith instead of falsely judging Christianity by the worst Christian that you ever encountered. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's unfair. And, and it not just being unfair, it, it, it keeps you from exp- from encountering the real Jesus because mm-hmm. you're too you're too busy being worked up by those who do it imperfectly. But look, everybody, even people who aren't Christians, fail to live up even to their own standards. You know, you know you shouldn't do some certain things and you, you do them anyway, whether you're a Christian or not. So we're all trying to, we're, you know, as Christians, we're trying to recover from that. We're trying to get to authenticity where our outsides match our insights. Right. It takes time though. It's not easy. Man, usually I have follow-up stuff, but you've said everything so nicely that I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to let it be in that. Well, feel free. I mean, I'm, I'm no, happy to go I, on tangents. I'm, I am definitely just enjoying the conversation and hearing what you have to say because uh, hypocrisy is such a real thing and it's yeah. such a real problem and it is a prevention for people knowing God. And I think even as Christians, we have to find a way to eliminate that stigma, but also accept it. Yeah. You know, accept the idea that like there is some hypocrisy in our faith, in our history, if you want to go say it that way, like within the Christian walk, there's definitely people who are not authentic, who are living oh, the yeah. hypocrisy. And to say that's not okay, but it's there and it's a reality. But then to say, let me put your eyes on what the reality is. And yeah. and even this question, the last question I asked about how important it is for a non-Christian to focus on Jesus, I think it's the same thing for Christians, that we get so locked on pedestaling people that we respect, that yeah. we then make it so hard for them, like we talked about earlier, for them to say, I'm... I'm messing up here or I'm struggling here yeah, because we're looking up to them. And if everyone just kind of fixated their eyes on Jesus, the that understanding of grace, mercy, love, compassion towards one another in a fallen oh, yeah. world where we're just trying to, I've heard it said, you know, the church is just a hospital where people are coming to get bandages and getting treatment to get better. Yeah, If we could just accept that for everybody else and each other, then man, that stigma would really get removed a lot easier. Kind of oh, leading yeah. into my last question then is... It's a great point. Are there things we can do to look less like hypocrites in the eyes of the world and each other? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that, that second little bit is important as well. Well, I want to start off by saying, as a Christian, even an earnest Christ-following disciple who's really in it, who's you know really after pursuing Jesus, some people will call you a hypocrite even if you're not. Jesus himself faced that. Mm-hmm. People called him a glutton and a drunk because he hung out with notorious sinners and he was always seen at parties and hanging around with these with what others with people who the Pharisees considered to be notorious sinners. So even Jesus himself was labeled a hypocrite and even his reputation was put on, you know, put on blast by his opposition. So I, I think we gotta say that right off the bat. Even if you live the Christian life perfectly, as Jesus did, you'll still be targeted as a hypocrite. Because there are more motives in, in the hearts of people who will call you a hypocrite than simply seeking after the truth. You know, they, they, like we said earlier, there are some internal motives in their own hearts that drive them to want to see things that aren't there, even if they are, or 
you know, miss things that are there. So I, I think for this question, I think it's best for us just to set aside the perceptions of the world for a minute, even though that's important, and just focus on not being a hypocrite. <laughs> like just <laughs> let's, let's not focus on how to, how to not be seen as a hypocrite by the world, because here's the thing, making an effort to not be seen as a hypocrite can just deepen your hypocrisy. It can just drive you to hide even more. So I'm not only going to hide my sins, I'm going to hide them even deeper so that no one will perceive me as a hypocrite. So I, I think the, f- the focus for all of us just has to be that authenticity. Like, look, the world's going to perceive us how it perceives us. We can't control that. There's an enemy at work in the world that's going to try to place people in opposition against, against Christ and his kingdom and us by extension. We're just not going to be able to overcome that fully. And, and even, even living a morally and spiritually perfect life will not get us to the point where no one calls us a hypocrite. It's a fact of life. Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. Mm-hmm. Just This is going to happen. So I think we just got to focus on not being a hypocrite. And I think the simple how to do it is stop hiding, stop pretending. Yep. Stop hiding, stop pretending. Remember, if hypocrisy is at its root a lie, don't lie. Mm-hmm. You know, don't say you're okay when you're not. You know, don't act like you've got it all together when you don't. And don't point out the speck in your neighbor's eye when there's a plank in your own eye. You know, we've, we've got to just be real. We've got to just be, be honest with each other, speak truth, and speak what's really going on inside us. Because if, if the alternative is, you know, if, if, we, if we live as hypocrites and if we, if we continue the habit of hiding um, our shame, hiding our true selves, you might fool other people, which is bad enough. And many Christians make it all the way through their lives and keep everyone fooled right up to the end. And it never comes out what maybe was really going mm-hmm. on there. You know, some people succeed in being rebels all the way up to the end, as C.S. Lewis said. You know, and fooling other people is bad enough. But, but worst of all, you might actually fool yourself. You might actually fool yourself into believing you're on a, a more firm spiritual footing than you actually are. This, I think, is the real danger. You know, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that the, Lord looks, uh, the man looks on the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we've got to heal the gap between the outside and the insides, between the heart and the exterior. But this, this whole concept, this is where we get to, and, and I'm, I'm about to cite what I believe are the three most bone-chilling verses in the entire Bible. These, these are verses that legitimately keep me up at night, that, ha- that, that drive me to keep working out my faith and keep working out my salvation and keep wrestling through my own, my own inner life with God. And I, th- I think we can never forget these verses. It's from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, and 20, 21 through 23. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. And this is the part where the, you get the lump in your throat. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. There is a really scary lesson here. And I think the lesson is that if we're not careful, we can trick ourselves into believing we're more holy than we are, and that we're on, as I said before, a more firm spiritual footing than we actually are. But God sees through. You used the word masks earlier, which is a great way to describe hypocrisy. God sees through even the most convincing mask. And you can fool everyone on earth. You can even fool yourself, which is not as hard to do as people think it is. You know, you think you know yourself better than you do, but then you do things that make no sense even to you. And you're like, where the heck did that come from? Mm-hmm. You know, but there, there is no mask. There is no hiding place. There is no fig leaf 
thick enough, strong enough, impenetrable enough that God can't see right through it. And he will not be mocked. You know, the reality is each and every one of us, Christian and non-Christian, we are going to stand naked in the halls of eternal justice. And everything we use to hide ourselves will be stripped away. And as C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, there will be surprises. Yeah. And things that we thought things that we thought were to our credit, things that we thought made us wonderful, we'll find out were hollow and weren't actually real. And some of the people who seemed like the biggest dirtbags to us, it'll be revealed that there was more going on in them than met the eye, and that God was actually more pleased with them because of the way they had engaged in the, the fight against sin. But, you know, it just comes down to stop hiding. Stop pretending. Stop hiding now. Come out of your hiding place now. Be honest now so that when you do stand fully exposed before your maker, there will be no secrets. Yep. There will be nothing hindering that. And, and, and so that right now, you'll remove the things that are, that are log jamming your relationship with Jesus, the things that are breaking down your, your friendship with God. So confess and address your sins head on. Don't, don't hide them. But do it within the, the security of the church family. This is what the church family is meant to be, a secure place where people can share their, their insides honestly. Again, not sharing everything with everyone, but sharing everything with someone. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how hard that may seem, don't you can't go into hiding with your shame. You you got to confess it to get healed. I mean, James five sixteen teaches us that. And and I would just I would add to this since I'm on a, a little streak here. Don't just confess your sins. I, Christians stay in hiding because they think if they confess their sins to to God in prayer, that that's enough. Yeah. It's not enough. It's not enough. James tells us to confess our sins one to another. Yep. So we'll be healed. There is something powerful that God has built into the human soul and the human experience where you will only get that healing from one another. There is a part that God insists that we play in each other's recovery from sin and in each other's road toward authenticity and health and, and ultimate truth. So we've got to confess with others. You say, oh gosh, I feel so guilty about this addiction that I've got or this issue and nobody knows about it, but I confess it to God and every time I mess up, I confess it to God. But I, I can't see the listeners, <laughs> but I know that they know it's not working because mm-hmm. I know what it's like to be locked in a cycle of sin and I confess my sin to God, but I still feel terrible inside. I don't feel healed inside and I don't get the recovery from that sin that I need. It's only in working with other believers that I get that because the Holy Spirit lives not only in me, but in them as well. And there is a mutual work that we have to do in each other's lives. So like I said, you don't have to tell everybody. Don't tell everybody. That's not healthy but you've got to tell somebody. So find a mature, safe brother or sister in the faith who you know you can be honest with, who will join you in your campaign against sin and to overcome hypocrisy and and the gaps between your insides and outsides, and you will find healing. And you'll no longer be a hypocrite because you you will have unified your inner soul with your outer perception. And that's the life, that's the life I want to live. I want to live that life where there's no tension between my inner life and my outer life. There'll still be hard things about life, but I don't want to subject myself to unnecessary pain and difficulty simply because I'm not honest with myself or with others about what I'm going through. Hypocrisy will, living by a lie will eat you up. I I know, I've done it. I've done it for years. It's a miserable way to live, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So I, I hope that anyone listening will continue to confess to Jesus, but will find a safe person to be honest with. And pretty soon you'll find that you're not the only one who's messed up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a 
and that that is I think nine tenths of the healing process is once when, when some when you confess it to somebody and you've worked up all the courage and it took you so much to say it and they put their hand on your shoulder or some socially distanced version of that and <laughs> and they go me too yeah there is nothing that is more therapeutic for the human soul than to know that you're not the only one who's screwed up in that area and you're not the only one that struggles there there is something so innately freeing in that don't miss out on that. That was really good, Doug. I, I like the the idea of if you don't want to live like a hypocrite, don't be a hypocrite. Yeah. Um, and I like the way you kind of summed it up. And when I was thinking about it, it's if how do I how do I not look like a hypocrite to the world? Easy. Don't live for the world. Live for Christ. Yeah. You know, when you live for Christ, so my sole purpose is what the world thinks of me shouldn't be important. Yeah. What God thinks of me should be. And if yeah. I keep that perspective then what the world sees will be what God sees. Yeah. Uh, and all those verses at the end kind of wrap that all up. Uh, that was good stuff, man. Thanks. Uh, that was really fun talking. I can't wait to have you back on here again sometime down the road. Uh, yeah, I had a great time. This was, it was fun to study. It was fun to think about this in advance. It gave me like some great material just to meditate on for the last few days. And it's it's been very fun for me. Yeah, it, it was great. Anything you want to plug or put out there at the I, end I mean I used to have a podcast I don't anymore <laughs> I mean, uh, but I still love the guys that are leading the podcast now ever since I moved into my new position I don't leave the but anyone's welcome to check out the doable discipleship podcast with Saddleback Church it's a podcast that me and my buddy Jason started about three or so years ago now and I'm on the first like 120 episodes or so and then after that it, it got it got taken over by uh, Jason my old co-host and a guy named Brandon a wonderful wonderful pastor named Brandon who who came on and joined Jason with that so those two guys have carried the baton ever since I moved into my new position and and they're still doing great work so it's just it's good it's practical material it's easy to understand so yeah if you're looking for just you know if you're looking to just fill your podcast feed with good stuff that'll help you grow it's a it's a good thing to check out and I don't know. That's all I got, man. Cool. Awesome. All right. For uh, Doug, I am Chris. We are your church friends, and thanks for listening. Good fun, man. Ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Hippa and Crit. Thank you. Thank you all. Crit. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about our organization and who we will be helping? You got it, Hippa. Well, tonight we've pulled the trumpets out for the Help Us Look Good as we give to the needy organization. With so many people needing out there, we aim to do whatever we can to help and make it no secret when we do so. I mean, what a great cause there, right? You, the people at home, give and we are the ones that look good on your behalf. That's right. And if you've heard enough and want to give immediately... You can call 1-800-555-GIVE, that's G-I-V-E. We have several operators standing by to help answer your call. For those of you who prefer to send your donation electronically, Venmo us at HIPAA and CRIT looks good 5 That's HIPAA ampersand CRIT looks good 5 Maybe you're still not convinced giving a donation is the right move for you. Let us give you a little more information, CRIT. We know who the donations will help, but what will these fine folks' money do to help the needy? Well, HIPAA, with their donations, we're able to get together food supplies, clothing, and other necessities. We then package that all up together with a card that says, From HIPAA, Crit, and Friends. May God bless you. That is so awesome of us. So, what are you waiting for? Get that left hand to tell the right hand to pick up that phone and call now to donate. 
Don't tempt us, folks. We'll keep babbling on and on and on all night. Our goal is to get that reward in full tonight. So please pick up that phone and give because when you do, we look good. 